0: If you want access to bonus episodes, reading lists for every series of Empire, a chat community, discounts for all the books mentioned in the week's podcast, ad free listening, and a weekly newsletter, sign up to Empire Club at www.empirepoduk.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. William Durham
3: I can see the thought going me, through your mind. Well, you, you're not even announced yet. You just be quiet. I know you well enough to see that look where you go, shall I do it? Shall I tip her over at the beginning of this one? And you almost did. Anyway. It never And it, it really does. And also, can I just ask all of you who are on Twitter having a campaign to bring back the pause. You're not helping my mental health, any of you. So anyway, we're here again, and listen, um, we've got a very special guest who also, like William, doesn't understand about the dramatic build-up. Um, just wait until you're properly introduced. So I have two right. children. These two, like, two very good friends coming. Listen, on the previous podcast, we have been. This is part of. Uh, if you're just joining us for this one-off, it's not normally this chaotic. I promise, there's normally more order to these podcasts. But we are talking about the Ottoman Empire. We have taken you from its inception to the rise through Suleiman the Great. We've taken you through to the Young Turks arriving. Uh, yes, coffee. And also, we're, we've, we're sort of coming to the tipping point in the decline of the whole empire. And we thought, William, it would be good to look at that decline through a really interesting, kind of ubiquitous, at least in Britain, prism. We are doing it through the life of?
0: Lawrence of Arabia. And yeah. I think most people who who have encountered Lawrence have basically... Have, encountered Peter O'Toole. Uh, it's the movie. Pretty, one of the, pretty one of, Peter
3: O'Toole, yeah. One of the
0: great movies. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I watched it in Egypt over Christmas. So, I am very ginned up on, on what the movie is, but I'm quite keen yes. to talk to our guest. Who is who, just not
3: <laughs> going to stay quiet for a moment longer.
0: <laughs> the sooner we introduce oh him, the better.
3: God, go on then. It is actually the rather marvellous Anthony Satin, who is a, a very old friend of yours. Oh, old, old, old friend of mine yeah, met. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, young, yeah young. long yeah. friend. <laughs> 30 years ago, really. Yes. Well, and you have done this beautiful book with a really fetching cover, I have to say uh, Young Lawrence. And it's got a picture. It, it could be O'Toole. It could be one. One of those smudgy pictures from an O'Toole poster, film poster. Except
0: that Lawrence was actually much shorter than O'Toole, isn't that right? Yes, I, wow. I know.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Paul. How tall was
3: he?
1: He was short. Well, we don't know exactly how short he was, but he was between five foot two and five foot four. I and mean, because there are several medical records. I, I'm totally you.
3: To I'm, I'm five foot two. I'm not even He's between. He's size. I'm yeah. just so shocked. He's fun size. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even a real old person. I just can't understand this. I can't you, compute it.
1: You could have looked at each other in the eye. It could have been something. Oh, no. He's a bit old.
3: Oh, a bit no, bit old well, for you. <laughs> a bit dead for <laughs> me, to be honest, Anthony. And also, I don't think I'm necessarily his type, and we'll get to that in a minute. In it. Yes, to yes, yes, yes. Let's not rush forward. That. But can I just tell you a really interesting fact about the O'Toole uh, film version? Because he became so much identified with Lawrence. So there are some things that they, they did right. So he was this creature with a shock of very blonde hair. That is correct. That's right, yes. He had piercing blue eyes. That is correct. That's correct. He was half the size of Peter O'Toole. We've now found out. That's that. <laughs> that is also... But when Peter O'Toole was making the film, do you know what his nickname was on set? Tell me. Florence of Arabia (laughs) because he was so appalling to all the cast and crew they found him really really um, flouncy and awful they called him Florence of Arabia thought I'd throw that in right back to reality though so where was Lawrence of Arabia he wasn't always of Arabia he was Lawrence of where to begin with
1: well he was born in Wales um, Lawrence of Traumatic and then he became Lawrence of Oxford, which is where he was brought up. He went to went. Anita's convinced that she went to school with him.
0: No, I just, we
3: know we had a discussion that whatever no. that case was in my school was a big lie. It was
1: an
0: absolute
3: <laughs> lie. They it. used to claim
0: him. Not they, true.
3: they claimed him in a glass cabinet, so he went to this school and it was a ragged schoolboy in, in the east end of London. No, he did he hell went, it. was. He went to the <laughs> he Oxford High the, School. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a big, big lie. But his actual origin story, if I sort of use the mm. Marvel comic nomenclature of this, is complicated. It's not not clean. Tell us about his background.
1: No, I mean, well, the name wasn't Lawrence for a start. I mean, he, and he didn't discover this as a fact until after the war. Um, but he has a sense, uh, and, and he's one of five, uh, five children, four other brothers, but he's the only one who has a sense that there's something weird about his parents' relationship. And what's weird about it is that A, they're not called Lawrence, and B, that his parents are not married, which at the beginning of the 20th century was quite a big thing. So his father was an Irish baronet by the name of Chapman, who ran off with the governess got her pregnant and right. then and then did the indecent thing of leaving his wife and daughters but his wife was a Catholic and wouldn't divorce him so they live in sin
3: they live in sin and, and is this a big scandal at the time do people know or has he has he by moving to Oxford and and does he have money of his own? He's or? got
1: money, yes. I mean, yeah. he's, he's left the estate and most of the fortune to his wife. Right. But he's got enough never to have to work. So he sort of lives this sort of comfortable middle class life as though he was a lawyer or something like that. And they move around. So he, his eldest brother was born, elder brother was born in, in Dublin. And he's the second one born in Wales. And the third one's born in Normandy. Or Brittany, the, and then the next one is brought in the, in the Channel Islands, and mm-hmm. the last one in the, in the New Forest. And then when it's school time, they decide to go to Oxford. And I think because they can, they feel they can live anonymously in Oxford. There's no social life. There's no family, you know, back, family backstory. There's no, you know, the We Lawrences come from wherever it is. But after the war, old man Lawrence dies of the Spanish flu in 1919 and leaves this le- heart-rending letter that says, you know, oh, my sons, if only I had known you know, that I, I, there could never be a divorce. I've lived with this secret all my life and this awful, awful sort of weight. That, but uh, they that only
3: find out when, when he dies? When or? he
1: dies. He wow. leaves a letter to be opened after his death.
3: But it, with this sort of unusual background, but, albeit he doesn't know how unusual it is, is it true to say that as a child he was a bit weird?
1: Yeah, yeah, but, but as I said he's the only one of these of these five kids who feels there's something weird about his parents and he and it really weighs on him. So he's convinced that his mother is his mother, but his father is not and that his fa- that this man has stepped in to do the decent thing, you know, to sort of protect this woman. So and and he has a very very complex relationship with his mother who of all the kids she she beats him. Quite savagely at times, and punishes him a lot. And also, he's he's literally the runt of the litter, although he's the second of five because he he's small, and the others are not that small. Uh, you know, there's something weird about him. Is
3: he clever? Is he's he s-
1: very very bright, and he's very dedicated to building up his body. He's sort of he goes on first of all long walks, and then when he gets a bicycle, long bike rides. And by long, I mean he cycles down to the south of France. Oh wow! And back. I mean, he he does long, and then crucially, he decides to go and see Crusader Castles. Crucially, yes. His second year at Oxford, where he's um, studying medieval history, he decides to go and look for the origin of well, ver- various elements of Crusader castles. He becomes obsessed with machiculation, which is the bit that hangs above the gate of a, of a castle, where you can pour boiling oil down onto the people trying to batter your, batter your door. I mean, it's, quite, it's, very, it's
3: quite niche. It's very niche. <laughs> no,
1: and but. on the year, that the, the summer holiday, the, at the end of his first year at Oxford, so he'd cycled out the whole way around France, to, um, looking at castles. And then in his second summer, he decides to walk around um, the Middle East. And, oh, no, I actually did the same. I did it in my first summer at Cambridge. I went off and followed the route of the
0: Crusade. You're through, much taller than him. You're <laughs> taller, but you are as
3: odd. I mean, <laughs> that's probably fair
0: to say. And I arrived in Damascus and I was staying with some friends of friends. Uh, in Damascus, and someone gave me this book of uh, Lawrence's Crusader Castles. Crusader Castles, which is yeah, which is his so you b- didn't
3: know why we were doing no it that you were following in his I footsteps,
1: which it. was his uh, his thesis, yeah, which it, for, for which it, he received a first. He, he yeah. got a
3: first, so he got a first. He's acknowledged as a, a brain. He has this niche interest in, in, in a particular bit <laughs> of Crusader <laughs> castles. Okay, so what is to become of such a man? <laughs> well, no, a, he's, is there a career? in particular He's
1: even weirder than that because he would actually been collecting collecting shards of pots and bits of broken glass. They were digging up roads in Oxford. They were doing a lot of construction when he was growing up. Yeah. And and he paid the workman to give him whatever whatever little bits they dug. And he reconstructed Medieval pots and Elizabethan bottles and things, and and he became the youngest ever donor to the Ashmolean Museum, and then he Brilliant. helped them reorder at age sixteen or whatever their collection of of medieval stuff. Wow! I mean, he was a complete nutter. But from I the,
3: but from I think it's rather clearly. lovely though, but kind of charming nutter. Yes, actually,
1: you've always liked that kind of nutter. <laughs>
3: That's why we're friends. Uh, Just saying. Okay, so. And crucially, (laughs)
1: crucially, he of the five kids is the one who tells stories at night when they're all little. And the stories he tells are always Arthurian legends. They're they're stories of knights doing noble things, saving young ladies, storming
3: castles. So he's romantic. He's got a deeply romantic soul. Yes. But he's not a romantic person at this time. And he's not sort of, you know, hit with the ladies. That's not his thing at all, is it?
1: That's not his thing at all. No, he's yeah. a well. He's a he's a he's a loner at this point. One of the things that you've
0: said in your book that was I hadn't realized is I always assumed he was gay, and you say he wasn't. He was basically
1: asexual. I have found no dirty sheets, and yeah. believe me, I've looked. Um, even the people who, even someone who wrote thinking it was rather odd that he'd spent a summer locked up with a young man in in the Ottoman Empire. Then it quickly backtracked, and saying, "I'm not suggesting anything improper mm. happened, mm. but he did carve an, uh, an image of a
3: naked man." Well, did he? Well, we've all done that. Um, the thing is, so let's not let's not leap forward because here, so here he is. Okay, he's doing something interesting. He's, what what he's date like, is
1: he looking at these matriculations? Uh 1908.
3: And then what happens? So he's got a now a relationship with the Ashmolean. The Ashmolean is going to be a real pivot point in his life, transformative. What happens?
1: Yes, there's a man called Hogarth. D.G. Hogarth, who's such a shady character, who, I mean, he he had been an archaeologist and then a journalist. He didn't have money. He didn't inherit money. So he'd had to make it. And he went, you know, he was a very popular public speaker. And then he became director of the Ashmolean in Oxford. And he sort of becomes, um, Lawrence's surrogate father and looks after him. So he helps him into, into Oxford because he, into the university because he knew him beforehand and, you know, suggests that he might go and look at Crusader castles in France and then arrange. helps him arrange the big walk he makes around around the Middle East in the second year.
3: Now, you say shady. Is that because you think he might be a feeder school for spooks? I'm trying to understand the kind of flavour shady that we're talking about.
1: I think he's a spook of some sort. I I think it was about him that Churchill said it was unhealthy for so much power to be in the hands of a man of whom nobody understood his origins or his trajectory. And, you know, he's a friend of everybody. I mean, he's the director of a museum. You know, and, and an article of
3: respectability. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. But, but behind that, he appears to have been doing also. But for instance, when I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to find information about him, the Ashmolean have nothing.
3: They have no records. They, of say, him. they
1: say the files have been weeded was the word that we
3: did used. which means someone's gone which through, and, someone's destroyed gone through things. and cleared it
1: out yeah That's and there were and somebody some years earlier had done a phd on him and i tracked this person down who said i've left academia as though that her phd had ended her life and are now working in a bar somewhere in, sort oh, of, God, in, the, in the outback oh, in australia you know. <laughs> or whatever but i yeah. found her and she said they have a copy of my phd of the ashmolean and they swore they didn't <gasps> And uh, uh, yeah, I, anyway, I did eventually get it, and well, he ends up running the Arab Bureau in Cairo during the First World War. Okay, I mean, it-
3: so all right, so so he's been recruited. Let's just imagine that. The, I mean, what you're suggesting he's been recruited into what is the equivalent of, I suppose, MI6 or whatever it is, and he's and he's then sent out on this walk, and which so, is important. Yes,
0: give us a picture of. The Ottoman
1: Levant in 1908. 1908. Uh, 19, 1909. By the time he gets to Beirut, uh, well, the Ottoman Levant, like the rest of the Ottoman Empire, is in a state of flux because the Young Turks, of, uh, in 1908, had um, taken power, but they had a sort of power-sharing agreement, effectively, with the with the Ottoman Sultan. But in 1909, they literally deposed the Sultan. This has resulted in a, in a real sort of turmoil in the in the regions and everything that we're going to talk about. Here. Here, the Middle East, what we call the Middle East, Anatolia and Palestine and Syria and the whole way around into Egypt is in flux. So, what is what is left of the Ottoman Empire at this period? They still have some European provinces. There is still Bulgaria, Montenegro, and. Uh, a-
3: Another Around, bit. Another bit. Another bit. Right. Other,
1: yeah. other bits. Greece. Exactly. Macedonia. And still the whole way down through Syria, what, what is now Syria, the Asian part of Turkey, what's now Jordan, Israel, Palestine. So,
3: I mean, they've got a lot, and but is,
1: and, and Egypt Egypt, Yeah, Egypt is, no, is still nominally... Um, they, what
3: does it pay tribute to the Ottomans, but it looks after the itself? British inv- the British had invaded
1: in 1882, so it's a, a British occupy it, but they never. It's, it's called the Veiled Protectorate because the British don't sort of annex it, so right. it's still nominally part of the Ottoman Empire with the king, the Khedive, the Khedive, hmm. and 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 then Libya. Is still is still part of the Ottoman. Term. Okay, so
3: he's walking through what is it feels like an empire in decline. What does he form an opinion of what he thinks Turks or Ottoman Turks are like?
1: Yes, in several times in his letters home and in his journals, there's this word "stupid." He keeps right. on calling them stupid. He he said these people simply do not understand how to run an empire. And he's watching, you know, the last bit of grip that they have. And and while he's walking around, because Sultan has gone, there's a sense among the minorities, and that's most of the region we're talking about, that this might be their moment for independence. Mm-hmm. So the Armenians, the Kurds, the you know the, uh, all the tribes. Beginning um, some Arab nationalist stuff in Beirut. Exactly. When yes. He's arriving. The Arab nationalists and 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 you know so there's a lot of there's a lot of tension, and, yeah, and right. which is why he's told a not to walk, and b not to walk alone. He
3: ignores both things. And He ignores both things. <laughs> There's the thing? yeah. little, little blonde, teeny tiny blonde man. You
1: know, he's not an Englishman. He's not a Welshman. He's actually an Irishman mm. by by blood. Goes off walking with a little backpack with yeah. a with a camera and a revolver and a change of clothes.
3: So is this his way into the Arab culture? There's something that he becomes. Very enamored of. I mean, some may say in a in quite orientalist kind of way, but he has this romantic notion of what it is to be Arab. Does he literally knock on people's doors saying, "I'm here now. I need somewhere to sleep." Is that how it works? It,
1: it is literally that. There, are, you know, most of the places where he walks, there are no there are no hotels. So you, when you you go into a village and there's this you know, this wonderful thing which there still is in a lot of the Middle East of hospitality. Right. You're um, welcomed in. You even when I was doing this in the 1980s, at the same age walking through the villages
0: of Syria. And again, many of these places didn't have hotels and all I had was a backpack. People just took you in.
3: So, I mean, just like, talk about that One of the reasons I feel more. so sad for
0: Syrians yeah. who've arrived in Europe and, and, and been given We're not the, welcome. the, 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 the uh, very opposite of that kind of hospitality. Every single night of my first trip to Syria, I was taken in by someone, given a bed, fed and, and given a little food the next day to go off on my next trip. So
3: tell me tell me this. I mean, because I've always wondered, because, you know, I've never had the luxury of doing that. I suppose it's different, actually, when you're a woman, you're not. It's a male thing. It's a male thing. Unless you're Gertrude Bell or Freya Stark, it's a male thing. We'll come on to actually, Gertrude Bell and, and Lawrence of Arabia do cross paths. But yeah. when you were doing it, was it with. An absolute. I'm trying to get into his head. You know that. Do you feel immortal at that age? No, not it at at all. does the adventure overall good a bit sense.
0: I mean, I was also looking at Crusader castles, following Crusader routes, and I remember one night um, I went with a friends. So I wasn't alone, unlike Lawrence. But um, I remember one night we arrived at Calat uh, Salaheddin, Sayun, which is one of the most spectacular. Wow, wonderful. Why place. is it
3: spectacular? Because well, they
0: dug out. Uh, There was a very eminence on three sides, cliff faces on three sides, but on the fourth, there wasn't. So they just dug out the rock and created the most enormous ditch, uh, leaving one tiny tiny thing for the drawbridge. drawbridge It's the most romantic castle in the world. We arrived there at night. The castle was already locked. And so we just put down our sleeping mats and slept outside. And then in the middle of the night, we started hearing the howling of wolves.
3: Oh. oh, And they got
0: closer. Oh and, dear. And that's an uncomfortable moment when yeah. you were 18 or 19. And, yeah. and I didn't have a revolver.
1: Anyway, but the is...
0: But you could knock on
3: you, a door and someone would take you it in. It is, hospitality that, is a yeah. huge
1: thing in that mm-hmm. part of the world, a very real mm-hmm. thing. But also the need to explain who you are. So it's like, yeah. well, where have you come from? Right. And, and why are you here? And where are you going? I, I don't know if you had this, Willie, but, but yeah. certainly Lawrence did. And you start with a limited vocabulary. Uh, sure. Because most of the... Although in, in Lebanon, he found a lot of people spoke English. He, f- he kept on meeting people who'd gone off to the states to make some money and come back, and were and, and it's so they quite
3: a lot like that now, isn't yeah, it? Really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Actually. yeah.
1: <laughs> but the further he went on, the, the less English there was, and the more Arabic. And he begins to begins learning. I mean, he had studied a bit before, but he begins to learn. So Arabic. he becomes
3: actually sort of a triple threat. I don't know whether Hogarth sent him out with this in his mind, but he's learning the terrain. He's making contacts with people. And he's learning the language. Is he aware? Is there any awareness inside him at all that he's actually you know, sort of being moulded into rather a super spy when needed? There's
1: something you really have to be really careful about with Lawrence, and that is there's so much mythologizing after the war, because he ends the First World War as the, the one of the most famous, and very soon the most famous survivor. And therefore... Everybody around him starts mythologizing and he adds to it by giving out different accounts and then mythologizing his own account. So he sa- later on, he says, yes, I was pre- preparing myself for this great work, but I don't believe it. You I've always know. assumed
0: to have to say that he was, he was, he was into his matriculations. Crusader castles are wonderful things to, to go and see. And yeah, I and think, you, think don't, was, you don't need to go and create a an entire spy persona for him just because later. Uh, he ended up in the First World War doing. No, he was a, just
1: a bit of a weird nerd who was clearly not a team player. Because and, he, and yeah. he says at school they kept on getting him to play team games, and he would walk off halfway through. He was not. He was not a team player.
3: So he's done his now long epic walk. There are no soles left on his sandals. Uh, he's done whatever he could. Then what do you do? What do you do after that? You've had all this adventure. What happens Oh, you go today? back and,
1: and finish your, your degree, get your first at Oxford. Yeah. And then, well, then he thought he, he was given a, a fellowship, Magdalen College, yeah. and uh, and given a grant to go and study medieval glass somewhere in France. But then Hogarth again gets a grant to go and excavate this site called Carchemish. Which is one of the great... Archaeological sites of the Middle East.
0: Why yeah. is it? Tell, it no.
3: Describe it to those who don't know, because I, I I don't know about it. It, it. Was a, it was a Hittite site. It was a Hittite yeah.
1: site. And, the, the British and it was dug by Leonard Woolley. That's right. Yeah. And, and and the British Museum didn't want it. What the British Museum wanted was a place called Hattusa, which is in the middle of Anatolia, the middle of, of, of Asian Turkey, um, which was the Hittite capital. And the big thing about Hittites at that time was nobody had translated their script, so everyone was looking for a, you know the equivalent of the Rosetta Stone, um, something that would have um, several several. Uh, this Latin is scripts. still a period when people are really trying to find the
0: archaeology of the Bible, and Hittites yes. appear in the Bible. So uh, all these sort of people at the early 20th century are, are, are trying to establish the truth behind the biblical narrative. Still,
1: so the Germans. Get Hattusa, German archaeologist. Okay. It's sort of you know, real nationalism in this. So and when you go to Berlin, you see all the stuff from it there it, in the Berlin. Museum. Exactly, Berlin and, the, yeah. and the British Museum gets Carchemish, and Carchemish wow. it sits on the Euphrates River, so it's you know it's important, and and it was thought because it because it was the frontier of the Hittite Empire, maybe there would be a by or trilingual inscription, and it also happens to be right beside where the Germans are building the Berlin to Baghdad railway. There's competition among all the
0: different European powers to woo the ottomans so the british are building them a warship the french are giving them loans and the germans are building a railway and these are all different ways of these different european powers to position themselves if as seems likely the ottoman empire disintegrates people have been waiting for this for about 200 years and of course it hasn't happened partly because the different european powers all have an interest in keeping it from the others and so in order to avoid particularly the russians getting the straits all these different powers just keep the ottomans there Intact.
3: So we've got the Germans who are there. We've got the British who are sending out young men to do walking and surveying, maybe. And who else is sort of in this scramble for the uh,
1: The French are there. The French have have their eye on Syria very much. Oh, and the Russians, obviously. And, you know, who are concerned about who's going to be controlling the Turkish Empire. So it's, it, it is it's a time of great with,
3: intrigue. Yeah, intrigue uh, and yeah. spies and meeting in smoky rooms and, and having smoky and discussions. And within Istanbul...
0: Down there's huge political unrest. Mm. For example, uh, the Armenians are still are now about to be fingered uh, as as traitors to the empire. Uh, they're feeling uncertain. Then there's Armenian nationalists, uh, two different kinds of Armenian nationalists competing with each other. It's, it's a fascinating time for Lawrence to be there.
3: Okay, so all of these powers are there, present, intriguing, pretending they're not waiting for the whole thing to collapse and walk in and take bits of the Ottoman Empire. It feels like there may be some war. <laughs> on the horizon. What's Lawrence doing at this time?
1: Well, Lawrence is, is digging at Carchemish and falling in love with a young man. Uh, uh, this who, is the
3: young man to whom This is the, the young man, man
1: to whom. I don't think they have a sexual relationship. Just very quickly, let, let me make this clear. It's an absolutely platonic love. I don't think sex was part of Lawrence's thing. But and he
3: writes about him so passionately. This, in uh, What is the work that he writes? Something of Zim. What's it called? The Wilderness of Zim. The Wilderness of Zim,
1: yeah. they end up, I mean, it, they, okay, so in, in the winter of 1913, they are asked to go and look for the the archaeological traces of Moses and the children of Israel, and which even they know is ridiculous. And they're going with a couple of royal engineers, and they're going because Lord Kitchener, who had been a royal engineer and at this point is the, the effectively the ruler in of uh, the British in Egypt, um, knows that there's one bit of the of this desert route between between Palestine and, and Egypt and the Suez Canal, which is the, the route to Uh, India and therefore absolutely central to 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 British power. There's one bit that that the Royal Engineers did not map, and so he has requested the Palestine Exploration Fund to ask for permission to send Lawrence and Dahum and Woolley to go and map this bit with a few engineers, Royal Engineers. That's
3: so interesting because I mean that's actually a little bit how espionage worked in Asia. You know, they sent people up the Himalayas to map bits that might be useful and then put their findings into little bottles and send them down rivers. So and you know there was all of this kind of into the hands of spooks this stuff went into. Okay so he's done that. He's um Duh- tell me a bit about Dahum the man who stole his heart.
1: Dahum was was a boy. I mean probably 13, 12 13 when uh, Lawrence first first sees him in, in 1910. He's the poorest the most junior of the world. there's like 200 locals working on on the on the excavation at Carcamis and so this is the guy who brings water on his donkey for the for the diggers to, to drink. And but there's something about him, apart from his good looks, that Lawrence, you know, that inspires Lawrence. And it's partly that he's the only one of the 200, according to Lawrence, who's learned how to write any Arabic script. They're all illiterate. And so Lawrence says, "Well, with the money we're paying you, and the British Museum was paying cash, and most of the work these people did was barter. Right. With this money, what are you going to do?" And, and Dahum says, "I'm going to get myself an education." So Lawrence thinks, ah, "I'm going to educate you." So he does, and he's very specific. He doesn't want to give him a Western education. He said, "I hate these sort of half Westernized people. I want him to be the best Arab he can be."
3: And he dedicates. I mean, he will dedicate the Seven Pillars. He to dedicates him the Seven
1: Pillars to. But him.
3: also, I mean, of course,
1: more than that, he yeah. actually says everything I did I did, did for, for this him. person who I cared about
3: which is beautiful and okay I mean you're, you're sticking to this it wasn't sexual and that's fine Ian, you, Ian Foster
1: okay. tried very hard to get Lawrence to, to admit to a physical relationship and in the end said this man is sexless
3: okay and there's one thing that comes out in your book you, you actually see he, this is a man who didn't like to be touched I mean what what is how do you know this about him? He,
1: well he, he there's a certain sort of touching he liked he liked to be flagellated after the war <laughs> <laughs> he, that's he, fine. Paid, <laughs> he, he paid I there's so many him.
3: public school <laughs> jokes I could make right now but, but I, I think won't. it's okay. to do with his
1: mother actually I uh-huh. think that's to do with his uh-huh. mother and the beatings he received from her he really wasn't a stroker or a fondler and he was even sort of a <laughs> bit weird about people shaking his hand Okay really like Trump Yeah yeah. Trump didn't like people shaking his head easily. No, no, no. Famously,
3: famously so. Okay, so then he's with Dahum. He's living his best life in many ways. You know, he's digging, he's out, he's sleeping under the stars. He's got this beautiful boy at his side. And
0: as war approaches, there's absolutely no certainty which side the Ottomans will fall on. The French are the people that have lent the Ottomans money. And it's one accident, partly of responsibility of Churchill, that shoves the Ottomans into the war, on the side of the Germans. And that's when there's two warships being built in South Shields. and South the, Shields, we should
3: say, is a part a port, of Northern England, a port in the Northern England. port of England. Newcastle. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And the Ottoman state has borrowed a huge amount to have these ships built. They're going to be the pride of the new Ottoman Navy. And there's a massive campaign, I think, to raise money from ordinary people mm. in the Ottoman Empire to pay for these two new state-of-the-art battleships. And just at the wrong moment Churchill who up to now has been saying no we're not going to send the ships because they're not quite ready they need a little bit more of a polish a couple more welders need to be found and eventually he says no we're going to impound them right. and that impounding of the warships puts the entire Ottoman Empire into bed with the Russians okay. and about a week later uh the the Germans and the Ottomans sign a treaty and the Ottomans enter the war opposed to the British and, and the this Allies.
3: is this is World War one is has begun. Where is Lawrence at the the, the day it's declared?
1: The, he's he's in Oxford he's um, gone back He's gone he's, gone he's he's gone back. back he's left home. in June 1914 he goes back to Oxford to complete this map I mean, you know Kitchener the kitchen has, ordered, for, has, yeah. has ordered them back so he's left everything he's seen the empire the Ottoman Empire falling apart you know, he's seen the, the Italians have bombarded Beirut Harbour for instance and things like that I mean he's seen the Ottomans lose their European territories he's seen the there were talk of an Armenian and then a Kurd uprising and, and the Arab Congress and all this stuff he's seen all that I mean, and yet he still doesn't understand that a war is coming he
3: doesn't he doesn't see it he doesn't call it
1: everything in car commission in in june and goes back
3: we're thinking he's going to be back in a couple of weeks including his revolver
1: and later on he says god imagine i got shot by my own revolver how uncomfortable would that be
3: (laughs) well listen it's a good time to take a break join us after the break when war has begun and where's lawrence and what's he gonna do
0: life is a highway
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Empire with me, Anita Arnand. And me, William Durimple. And our very, very special guest, Anthony Sutton, who has us on the edge of our seats talking about the young Lawrence, the real Lawrence of Arabia. Teeny tiny Lawrence of Arabia. But look, a huge figure for a reason. So war has broken out. He didn't see it coming. That's where you left us just before the break. What is the response of Britain and when do they deploy Lawrence and they, do they know what they want him to do?
1: Lawrence, yes, he wants to sign up immediately, and everyone is saying you can't, you can't. Hogarth is saying don't wait, and so by the end of 1914, his brothers, his two elder, bro- his eldest brother and, and the sec- and the third one have signed up, heading to the Somme and death and all that sort of stuff. But um, do they die there? Yeah, one dies in the battlefield, one's killed in in a plane crash, and yeah, they die. But Lawrence finally gets a position as a second lieutenant in the map room in Cairo. That's quite low. Where, no. Yeah, it's really low. For which you might say is evidence that he wasn't already part of the
0: intelligence services. That
1: but that he, but he, he but this is the Arab Bureau, which has Hogarth at its head, which has all the archaeologists who've been working in, in including Gertrude Bell. Ah, um, oh, no! And, listen, uh, for
3: those who don't know who Gertrude uh, Bell is. She's a character. Now, sure. do a thumbnail sketch of the extraordinary Gertrude Bell.
1: Gertie Bell, Gertie uh, Bell, her <laughs>
3: friends, yeah, as
1: she was known, who was the daughter of a uh, yeah a wealthy family. She had she had money behind her. She had a very good education and a lot of guts. And she travelled famously, you know, more, I mean, alone, not alone, because she had an entourage con- but,
3: and a, con- a companion, but, a constant companion yes, with her.
1: She travelled rough yeah. the whole yeah, way yeah. through the Middle East. She wrote extraordinarily good books. She very, she was very very. Fascinated by the archaeology yeah. of, yeah. of, of, of the Middle East. And,
0: and
3: a fluent speaker. I mean, she's one of those people America. who bothered to learn the language. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and in
0: Cairo, you've got all these guys who have learned. Arabic, yeah. Turkish, exactly. and know the region, but are not soldiers. They are archaeologists and map makers.
1: No, so this is the Arab Bureau, the inter- Intelligence Department. So she's
3: in the Arab Bureau. You have a wonderful picture in your book. I mean, I, I don't know when it was taken of, is it the um, two of them?
1: Of Gertie with... Gertie oh,
3: and Lawrence and outside Lawrence. the pyramids.
1: That's right. No, no yeah. I mean, That's after the war when yeah, they okay. Just when
3: saying, you've got a really good picture. It's a good picture. Anyway. With, with
1: Churchill, with on Ch- camels. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> got, a, it's got yeah.
3: literally everything <laughs> in it. Okay, so there they are. There's this pool of characters... Like Oddballs. Odd you know. They odd are a balls. bit, all of they, them no, a yeah, bit they special. Are, they, they are the Misfits. Yeah, they are a bit <laughs> special. So then what are they, what are they doing and what are they then meant to do? Yeah.
1: Well, they're there to try and work out, you know, the, you have the, the Turks as enemies on, you know, from, from Cairo up and you have, the Italians as enemies on the, on the other side yeah. to, to the west, because the Italians have, have taken, and, and taken Libya. And Lawrence is actually first sent off to Iraq, isn't he? He, he is. He's, cut. he's sent off to Cut, where a massive British force has, has Largely been. from India. Largely, yes, exactly. And, uh, Punjabis have just landed uh, and, on a boat in Basra and, and marched inland. And through st- stupidity of superior officers have, have got themselves mm-hmm. in, you know, surrounded and… Besieged besiege and a very and L- Lawrence is sent to try and negotiate. Prob- probably and large a, numbers of Indians are dying. Yeah, and lo- I mean it's weird that he's sent. I mean, there's no reason. I mean, he's,
3: junior. He's, he's a very, very junior, junior officer bad. with
1: yeah. no with no brief, but he understands Arabs. I mean, that's okay. the and he absolutely does. He 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 gets them, and not many Brits
0: do understand no,
1: Arabic at this point. No, but anyway, if, that's a complete failure. So you'd imagine. I mean, he doesn't save the day. Right. And you'd imagine that that would sort of be the end of his career. So he's back in Cairo. Having failed, having failed, and making such a nuisance of himself that he's can't, a pain in
3: the neck. They don't pa- like him, do they?
1: His commanding officer says that man needs a good kicking.
3: <laughs> and this is
0: and this is something that is actually very accurately portrayed yeah. in the movie, where he's the oddball who's quite keen on Arabs, and you have yeah. all these other British chaps sitting there who are you they know, find him uh,
3: unspeakable. You
0: uh, find him unspeakable, and and yeah. are the kind of you know central casting British racists of the period mm. who don't hang around falling in love with twelve-year-old Arab boys or whatever Lawrence has been up to.
1: Well, exactly. Exactly, and also that you know Lawrence famously never wore a full uniform. Either he wouldn't turn up with his pips, or his yeah. jacket, or his whatever. And and you know his commanding officers, who thought this was part of discipline <laughs> yeah. and whatever, were just infuriated.
0: We well, everything he
3: did was infuriated.
1: And this is of course where the movie opens,
0: and we see Lawrence right. being taken from the map room and offered a special
1: job. Curiously, in fact, he's actually not offered the job. The job is the job of Sir Ronald Stores, who, or he might be Reginald Stores. I can't remember. um, Who's the Oriental attaché? So he's sort of, you know, another one of these extraordinary—I mean, massively overeducated, massively bright, um, ridiculous Brits. Who's, you know, who walks around in linen suits with the sort of sweat patches growing from under (laughs) under his under his armpits and down his back. And he's going on a mission to talk to the sheriff who. Hussein in Mecca, yeah. and Sh- Sheriff Hussein is absolutely central to the whole Arab revolt. He is, um, alongside the, the caliph, the, the, the Ottoman Sultan, the, the most important um, figure in the, in the Muslim world. Because he is the, the Sharif of Mecca, the Sharif of, of Mecca, of the holy place, and direct descendant of the Prophet, and the direct descendant of the Prophet. Although there are lots of those around, it must be said. But but no, there's real status here. So Storrs is going to see um, Sharif Hussein, and Lawrence asks for permission to go with. He's not sent He and they are all say yes. <laughs> Get out of here, you annoying, so, annoying exactly. man. So off, so, right, off, okay. gets, so off they go. <laughs> and Storrs famously didn't talk to anybody he thought was so well beneath, beneath they, him when he was saving so intelligence. Yeah. Which meant that he famously didn't talk to almost anyone at all, <laughs> and it's in the summer in this really sweaty journey down the Red Sea on this steamer, they start talking to each other and you know and become very good friends and and, and stores has immense respect for Lawrence and so that helps Lawrence's standing and, okay. and also the fact that he speaks Arabic, and so there's the sheriff hussein and the, and the children and, and the idea is the same as the idea which failed in Iraq
0: that he's going to get the local Arabs to rise up. And support the British war so effort I, against I, the Ottomans.
3: Yeah, so I'm That's really right. I'm intrigued by this because it's in the British interest to have these tribes unite and cause a nuisance to the Ottomans. Does he do that because he believes in the the United Arab Kingdom, or does he do it because he wants to help Britain? What is his motivation? Because he is very successful, isn't he, in, in talking to people and getting them to, yes. to work together?
1: I think I think it's both. Actually, I've got a quote for you. In March 1915, he wrote, I want to pull them, the Arabs, all together and to roll up Syria by way of the Hejaz, which is Mecca, in the name of the Sharif, which is the the Sharif Hussein. We hope we can rush right up to Damascus and biff the French out of all hope of Syria. 1915. It, I mean, it's so very right, prescient, right, right isn't at the it? He's yeah. a junior officer. I mean, yeah. and, wow. and, and he also says at that same time to, to Hogarth, to his, his superior at the Arab Bureau, tell Winston, and this is therefore Winston Churchill, who's first Lord of the Admiralty at this point, I think, that, that we need a landing in Alexandretta, which is on the, on the, on the Syrian coast yeah. now. <laughs> the port of Antioch. The port of Antioch um, of, of Arabs, who will then take what is what in his view, the Arab lands mm. from the Ottomans. And, and instead and it, fatally, and it, Churchill chooses to he go does to Gallipoli.
3: Gallipoli, which is a disaster. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well probably Hogarth didn't tell Winston, or if he did, yeah. Winston, Winston said, didn't Well who listen. the hell is he? Yeah, really.
3: The second, second second lieutenant, lieutenant, from, lieutenant. from nowhere. And in actual nothing. fact it would
1: have been a very good idea. Because it would have the been may well have raised that and he would have saved the Armenians, wouldn't have had the Armenian jealousy. It would have been brilliant. Okay. It would have been brilliant. His that would have been a master stroke. But it didn't happen. So what did yeah. happen is he goes to Arabia with stores, and and he is checking out the the sons of the. Where's Dahum? Dahum is still in Carcamesh. So
3: they don't they don't reunite.
1: They don't they see, don't see um, each other. Well, that's uh, that's a spoiler. Okay. Okay. No, good. I don't
3: like spoilers. It's fine. No, no you're allowed to tell uh, me that. I'm doing it to William all the time. All right. Okay. All right. Okay.
1: No, he's... So, so. yeah, Dahome's back in Karkamish. Okay. okay. And we know he's still in Karkamish at this okay. point.
3: But there he is, giving very good advice, Lawrence, that nobody's listening to. And he <laughs> okay. spots
1: Faisal as, now, the, as the coming man. This, as this the, man as is the, the, so important. Who is Faisal, man of
3: the day. Um,
1: one of Emir, Emir Hussein's the Sharif's sons Uh, uh, and there are lots of sons there's Ali and you know and, and Faisal is not the obvious one he's not the eldest son but Lawrence thinks he's the one other people think this as well. Why? It must because be said. Why? Because there's a solidity to him. There's a there's a sense of measured judgment about him. And Lawrence thinks the uh, rightly so that the others are too either too rash or, or feckless. Feckless, the they exactly. They they don't have the weight of this man. So how quickly does the idea of the attack on Aqaba appear after this? This is really interesting because this is I mean it, one of the. Yeah, one of the most famous things that Lawrence is, is associated with is the capture of Aqaba, which transforms um, the view of, of the Arabs as far as the British and what the Allies are concerned. And in Faisal's notebooks, in his letters, and in his biography, it is, it's insisted that Lawrence was at no point part of the negotiations of what they were going to do. Really? But Lawrence absolutely claims it as his idea. So who's telling so, the truth. Well, we'll never know. We'll <laughs> never know. But what is, what is certain is that. So okay. So as far as the British were concerned, you have these Arabs, and and they have already declared a, a, a revolt. So there's a famously this old man, the sheriff Hussein, fires his rifle from the top of his palace in Mecca, and that's. But actually, nothing very much happens. And, but it's a huge symbolic moment. But it's a very <laughs> it's very symbolic, yeah. and so the British are thinking we must be able to fire this fire this f- sort of louder. And, um,
0: and, and just again, to, to the contrast with Cut. In Cut, the British had worked very hard to get the local Arabs to rise up against the Turks. They thought, that quite rightly, that many of the Arabs uh, would be very u- upset with the Turks, that they wouldn't feel any loyalty to the Turks. And it was a complete failure in Iraq. But that's not the case now. When no, that it, rifle goes off and it's
1: led by the Sharif of Mecca, it's completely different thing. The British have promised Arabs independence mm. after the war. Mm. Uh, McMahon, who is the you know the the commanding officer, has has written letters to the sheriff, Hussein promising independence. Akbar is really important because up until then, the British had not considered the Arabs a viable force. It's like, well, okay, they're there, they, they've established their revolt, but actually nothing's happening. So you can't use them; they, they don't have weight in this in this global war you know they and the point about Aqaba is all the turkish guns famously are facing the water because it's a port and the turks had assumed that, that it the port it would be stormed from sea and especially by the british who were a naval power the arabs go around the desert which is a hellish journey i mean it's really really i've difficult. actually done that journey i retraced the it, it's not the, easy uh, is it yeah not easy at all
3: what well, were you in a camel? How did you do it?
1: Uh, I was in Lankreys, in
0: fact. Lankreys,
3: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly easier <then. laughs> Yeah, okay. It didn't
0: take 40 days no. across the desert for me. Uh-huh. But yeah, But it's still a very, very bleak and, and yeah. daunting and fantastic
1: desert. Yeah, it is. And they attack from, famously, they attack from behind. And it's a huge success. It's a huge success, except not for Lawrence, who shoots his camel and f- falls off
3: why does he shoot oh,
1: that doesn't it, happen in the movie no. it doesn't happen in the by movie by accident yeah by accident
3: okay that's good <laughs> okay good
1: good I know it's not very <laughs> heroic
3: not really no he
1: has managed to persuade several tribes to come together for this for this attack and on the promise that there is gold in Aqaba and if you remember the movie, there's yeah. Anthony Quinn saying, Where's the gold? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But also, if you remember the movie, and this does happen, Lawrence is very keen for this to be known in Cairo that the Arabs have taken Aqaba. Yeah. So he makes this ridiculous journey by camel with, with one of the one of the tribe. In the movie it's one of the tribe. In reality, I think it's it's three or four. Yeah, in him. Yep. that's right.
0: So and in, they, the,
3: in the movie, it's this terrible scene, isn't it? When they arrive and they're hot and they're sweaty, they get these terrible looks because he's brought an Arab. He's going into
1: the officers' club, and yeah. yes, and says, "Serve this man." It's like we, you know, he's not allowed in yeah. here. He's a bloody foreigner. Yeah, um, but and that's they. True. And it's true, yeah. And, and yeah. but but the significance beyond the social side of it is is that at that point the British military, you know, the the, the headquarters understands that actually something could be done with these with these Arab fighters. Mm. Uh, Lawrence is encouraged, sent back with a massive amount of gold. I mean, you know, you could say that the Arabs were fighting for independence, but actually they were fighting for gold. And the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars were wow. handed over in gold. And
0: Railways start getting blown up, communications get cut. And it begins to work. This is actually something that's, that's really taking off. Well, When, yeah. you, when
3: you say they that cutting, I mean, that is this the first side sighting of guerrilla warfare that, you know, you can't take on a whole army? Exa- so you exactly. just slip away at different bits.
1: Lawrence realises that, that the Arabs couldn't fight uh, a pitched battle with the Ottomans. So they they the, maps with the and guns and all yeah. the modern equipment. Exactly. But what and the could, Germans
0: are shipping great quantities of stuff to Istanbul of the latest right. German
1: weaponry re- arriving, including planes.
3: Yeah, but you, so, you don't have to face them if you so can starve descri- So Lawrence describes
1: yeah. um, you know, these, these armies as being like plants. They're rooted. And he said, suppose we could be like vapor. We could just waft here and there and pop up, and which, is, which is effective at the beginning of guerrilla warfare. Amazing. And that's exactly what they do. So they decide you know, there's a large um, Turkish garrison in, in Medina. And they decide they're not going to take it on. They're just going to cut it off. And this provides cover for the British, who are now moving up from Cairo,
0: to think of invading Palestine under Allenby. That's right. But at the same time as all this is going on, and the Arabs are being promised independence and, and everything, two other people are being promised the same thing. One is the Zionists are being promised a homeland in Palestine. Balfour, the Balfour Declaration. Balfour Declaration mm-hmm. And secondly, the French are being offered great chunks of the Middle East in the Sykes-Picot uh, agreement the yeah. same thing is being offered yeah. to three people yeah. at once so of course the whole thing is going to grow does, up does but he know
3: does Lawrence he know he
1: doesn't know when, he's, when he starts out
0: because he's offering this to the
3: Arab friends of his in good faith that yeah you are he, risking right. their lives for their independence yeah. and at the same yeah. time
0: it's being offered to the French that's right and indeed to be directly ruled by the right. British
1: that's right and it comes out in 1917 when the Guardian newspaper get hold of it because of the the, the, the Soviet pass it to get hold of a copy pass it to to after the, after the Russian Revolution pass mm-hmm. it to the Guardian newspaper and Lawrence at this point whether he already knew it or not goes to his commanding officer actually writes a note to Cairo saying I can't bear it we have them fighting on a lie I'm going off. To get myself killed, and he literally disappears for days, and we don't quite know what happened. Is um, that the moment at Dara when he walks in and gets himself? Arrested? Well, Dara is exactly around that period, and Dara is such a weird and an unlikely event.
3: Well, look, well, now you two know about it. I have, I have a clue about it, but this is a really absolutely appalling thing to happen to yeah. a human being. Talk so, Lord who happens. is
0: again to remind everybody is. Blonde and blue-eyed. Yeah. And unusually small. And unusually small.
1: And yeah. Walks into Dara
3: Which is being held by the Austrians. Ottoman. Which is which is yeah. which
1: is Syrian yeah. n- near the Jordanian border now. And what happens? And and he gets picked up because, you know, he, he's he, shining like he's, a Felicia yeah, Beacon. Exactly. Yeah. Really. And uh, and taken to the the local commander who um, has him, first of all, interrogated and beaten up and whatever else. And then, I mean, everybody knows about Lawrence by then because he's been blowing up their trains. I mean, yeah. he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's a character in the region. And, and then has him sent upstairs to his bedroom, where it appears that he was raped and then thrown out in the street the next day. And what he writes, because he doesn't, those are not the t- words he uses, he, um, he says that his integrity was defiled, but what was he up to? He didn't have to go into that. Well, he, no said, he said he said he was go going there. to go
3: and get himself killed. He did try yeah. quite hard. I mean, it's, so, it,
1: it's it's so strange
0: in the film. Mm. Peter O'Toole is shown sort of falling apart, sort of drinking too much, and and and, and sort of talking to himself and disillusioned. Is that a, a close approximation of what he's, you think? He's happened?
1: he's really struggling. I mean, it's interesting because he's,
0: also, he's got all these people to rise up to risk yeah. their lives and he knows that they're going to be
3: Ch- complete he, shafted he's completely shafted by the yeah, British.
1: Yeah. And he's absolutely caught in the middle between these two sides yeah. because he wants independence for the Arabs and he wants the British to win the war. And and for a while he could see these two things going along very happily, and at this point he's realised that actually that's not going to happen. And after the war he writes, "It's a terrible thing to be caught between two cultures," and he describes it as a Yahoo life. You know, that you're neither one thing nor mm-hmm. you're never again. It's a famous quote. Never again are you going to be one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. So just to follow this through,
0: so by now lots of. Indian troops have arrived in Egypt in large numbers, including Rajasthani cavalry regiments, camels, all the rest of it. And my father's friend, Brigadier Dilgit Verk. Well, he's there too. And they move up through Gaza. They fight a battle at Ashkelon and they take Palestine. And meanwhile, what is Lawrence doing in the rear?
1: Well, no, Lawrence isn't in the rear. He and the Arabs are moving up on, in the, de- in the, on the, the coast. In, yeah. Exactly, in the yeah. desert. So, yeah. so Allenby's moving up on, on the fertile land is a sort of classic settled and nomad story. And and so the, so Allenby and the, and the British army and, and Australians and whoever else are moving up on the fertile land and the Arabs are going up through the desert.
3: We've only got a, a little while left on this. And I, I do want to put something to you. He is interesting, but he's not of enormous importance in the scheme of the British war machine. But there is one thing that then elevates him to the De Lawrence of Arabia that we have now, which when are the Laurel Thomas films being made? These are films that suddenly focus in on The white man dressed as an Arab, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So Lowell Thomas is an American journalist with news cameras. And he's come to try and find stories that are going to keep the American public on side, with the Americans coming into the First World War. And he's in Jerusalem, when Allenby and Lawrence have famously walked in, rather than ridden in, to to this holy city to show their their sort of humility. humility. Allenby says, well, if you're looking for a story, go with Lawrence, he's blowing up trains. And so, Lowell Thomas and his film crew are literally there filming Lawrence and the Arabs going down and blowing up these, these Turkish trains. Yeah. Go to Wadi Natrun in, in Jordan today, you can see recreations of this
0: every day for tourists. <laughs> but, but, but also,
3: I mean, at home this is playing like a sensation. So, Lawrence himself describes himself, I think, rather dismissively as, I am just a matinee idol now. But Lowell Thomas realizes that every time he shows this man on his screens back at home, the audiences go crazy, so of course he becomes quite obsessed with Lawrence. So that's how Lawrence kind of displaces everybody else and becomes Lawrence of Arabia. It's a showbiz. I mean, it is a bit it of is showbiz here, So, isn't so it? What is yeah.
0: in your view, Anthony? I mean, there are two views about this. You said that actually it's not a major thing for the British war effort. Would you agree with that? Is it a big thing for the British?
1: No, war I effort? think I think without the without Lawrence, uh, it could have been someone else, but it was Lawrence. Without yeah. Lawrence keeping the Arabs on side, and, and actually, actually
3: maybe Aqaba would never and, have happened without no, Lawrence. exactly, and yeah. help
1: and help yeah. and then and then you know they're the first into Damascus, and yeah. without without um, keeping the Arabs together, and he understood how to keep these tribes. He understood the temperament, which no other British officer in the field would would have done. So Lawrence takes. Damascus. But
0: in the movie, the Arabs sort of fall apart. They can't agree with each other. The whole thing, there's a, there's a fire, there's arson in, in Damascus. And Lawrence also is exposed at this point as having been representative of this lie that the Arabs are going to get everything. And in fact, they've offered
1: it to the French and to the Zionists too. Yeah. Well, also, just outside Damascus, he's heard that Dahum has died. <gasps> This Dahum pers- died. This pers- Dahum died of typhoid, probably in 1916. But Lawrence doesn't right. hear until literally just before Damascus, and so everything that he's imagined—you know—that he's going to hand these new Arab states, and and there'll be Dahum, and you know, and Dahum will be part of it, and this whole gift, as he put it, has fallen apart. So, and he writes so what, the first night in Damascus, the muezzin call, faithful to prayer, and there's a special prayer said for the thanks for the salvation of Damascus, and he and Lawrence writes so every. Everybody else, it was a great moment except for me. It, I knew everything was lost, and and then he asks uh, Allenby for permission to basically to disappear. I mean, he's a colonel at this point. He hands in his rank and wants to disappear, and he does. I mean, he literally disappears. He out of shame because he's double crossed his friends. It's literally because he's failed. I mean, mm. he, he, and 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 he tries once more in 1922, the the, the Cairo Conference, the the or well, 1919. He's there represent with Faisal. He's
3: representing Faisal, isn't he? he? gets yeah. Faisal
1: is not in, invited okay. to this sort of post war carve up. And, and so Lawrence gets, it, gets him in and then, yeah. and then fails with that. And then 1922, when Churchill takes on the colonial office, he asks Lawrence if he'll help him create a new order in the Middle East. And Lawrence lays out his rules. We're going to have Arab kingdoms. And Churchill agrees. And so Lawrence says, I'll do it for one year. And then after that, he changes his name and he enlists as a private in the army. He doesn't. He says, I never want responsibility again. He I have failed. As a
3: private.
1: He changes yeah. his name twice Goodness and me. keeps on re-enlisting because the press keep on finding him.
3: Right. So he Lawrence of Arabia. Out. Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. We've seen you on <laughs> exactly, the movies. Exactly. Okay, right.
1: So he's
0: enlisted as a private soldier. What happens to him after
1: that? After he, well, he, he enlists as a private soldier. Then he, he ends up uh, on the northwest frontier, Pakistan, where, where yeah. he's translating the uh, Homer. The Odyssey, actually, which is rather appropriate, I thought, for a man who travels. But the, the, the press find him, and there's like all this story. What's Lawrence of Arabia doing in the Northwest frontier? There must be some, uh, wherever he went. Yeah. There's always some story. For instance, what he really wanted to do after the war was go back to archaeology, go back to Carchemish. And the French say, we're not having Lawrence for Arabia. Lawrence for bloody and
3: Arabia. <laughs> <he'll> just, wherever <laughs> he goes,
1: there'll be trouble. So, so they, don't, yeah. they won't let him do that. So he keeps on being found. And eventually in, in, in the 1935, when he's coming to the end of you know, the end of his career as a… As, as a he keep, but he's a private, mm. still. I mean, he can go and have dinner with Churchill the lord of the admiralty the head of the air force the head of the army they're all friends of his along with george bernard shaw and ian foster and the literary greats of the time because by this stage he's written the book and he's it's written not just a good book it's one of the great the books the seven books pillars of We're he's written yeah. but he hasn't published it so it is not public knowledge because he doesn't want to it, he knows what a fuss it's going to make and it must be said that when it was published it was the biggest selling book after the Bible, it sold absolute uh, wow. for, fortune, That's and a great all fact. of the royalties went to um, benevolent fund for widows of armed forces. And then what happens? It's a very tragic end. And then yeah, so he's fine. Uh, he has a lovely. Um, Cottage, Clouds Hill, um, which is really his his retreat. I and mean, he only really had two, two homes of, of his own. One was a house he built at Carchemish, which you can go and visit. They've excavated right. it. Uh, there's, there's not very much of it to see, but, but he actually built that from scratch. And this lovely cottage called Clouds Hill in Dorset, um, which is now National Trust. And it was kept exactly as it was on this day in 1935, where He's been, he's still being hounded by the press and all he wants is to disappear and occasionally be whipped by one of, one of his friends. Um, oh, I, it's not much to It's not, not, <laughs> it's not much to oh, that's
3: a floggy thing happening. <laughs> it's okay, a floggy okay, thing. You know, it, it carried uh-huh.
1: on. But he loves fast. First of all, he had a r- really expensive push bike when he was cycling through France. And then when he grew, grew up, he had motorbikes and he loved really fast motorbikes and he was going fast and it, and, He had just been into London to to visit his friends, the editor of the Times and the Daily Mail or whatever, to persuade them to stop hounding him because, you know, everywhere he went, it was written up and he just wanted to disappear. Mm. So he was close to, and and he says at this time, I wonder what it's like to be a leaf falling from a tree. Mm. There's really a sense of end about him. Mm. And anyway, he's going very fast on a Dorset Lane, uh, goes around a corner and a couple of kids on push bikes, and he swerves out of the way and has a motorbike accident accident and is in a coma for a few days and then dies aged 35 plus 12
3: oh you can't do maths either oh, goodness me it's age, 40, 47 age 47
1: 40, 40, 40, 40, age 46. I
3: can't believe historians who can't do maths <laughs> H- 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 he was 46 and, it's very funny. and <laughs> at
1: his funeral Churchill gives the give gives the keynote address
3: mm.
0: and
1: says having ignored all his advice during the war says we will never see his like again
3: yeah
0: Anthony You've given what's really quite a sympathetic view of Lawrence, because there are those who say he's the great double-crosser, he's conned the Arabs, he's, he's led them all to risk their lives, and then they've taken everything away. Whether or not you accept that he is basically acting with honour as far as he can in difficult circumstances, how far do you think he's actually responsible for so many of the problems of the Middle East today? Because of all the issues that are there, Israel, Palestine... Arab countries, tribes without flags that, uh, that have no identity, split up along straight lines in the desert, unresolved issues of Turkey and, uh, uh, and the Arabs, no home for the Kurds, mm. and Armenian genocide. Obviously, we can't put all of these at Lawrence's, no, not all Lawrence's of them. <laughs> door. But how far do you think that the mess that he helped create is responsible for the mess in the Middle East today?
1: I, I think is absolutely responsible for it and i and you know he 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 was a complex man but he I, and it's not really enough to say he was doing his best and and in good faith he really wanted the best f- for for Harris because i think even his view of of his best case scenario was, you know, where, where a series of of Arab states, each one run by the son of, of Sheriff Hussein of, of Mecca, the Hashemite kingdoms, was, you know, would not have worked. I mean, it didn't work because for a little while, uh, Faisal becomes king of Syria, and. Effectively, they don't want him. I mean, the Syrians are completely different people to the Hashemites. Mm. They, you know, the, this is the, this is like trying to put a Frenchman on the British throne. It, it doesn't go down well. And I don't understand why so he so did. Prince of Orange has been made uh, King of yeah, England. We yeah, have, exactly. That, and various other no. variants. <laughs> random Germans
0: turning up and That's claiming right. monarchy.
1: No, okay, that was a bad, that was a bad example. But I don't understand why he didn't understand that. And also, for instance, when he did his walk in in 1909, he came out with an extraordinary comment at walking through Palestine, saying. I I don't know why they don't give it all to the Jews. They seem to be the only people who can do anything with it. So a really complicated situation and no obvious solution and lots and lots of good intentions. But yes, I think a lot of what he did has ended up making things worse. Anthony, thank you
0: very, very much. It's a a very sad and, and moving story. Anthony, you've been wonderful. Thank you very, very much. Anthony Satin's book, Young Lawrence, a Portrait of the Legend as a Young Man, is available from John Murray. That's all we have time for today. But from me, William
3: Durrumpel. And me, Anita Arnand. You can't do that. How do you like it? <laughs> yeah, I can. My, that's fine. If thing. you can do it. I can. And I will. And I might. How do you like that? Anyway, it is goodbye from us. Goodbye.